0: On today's show, the Hawks fall at home to the Boston Celtics on a night where Boston made 20 three-pointers, and that was the biggest difference in the game. The Hawks struggled defensively the entire way. We'll break it all down and talk about everything that transpired in this game and more coming up. You are Locked On, Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1429 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you deep into the night on a Saturday evening into Sunday. And today's podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're a first time user of Prize Picks, 100% is a deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That is pricepix.com, promo code locked on. And also, want to tell you at the top of the show to make this podcast your first listen over at Locked on Hawks each and every day. And anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as YouTube, Stitcher. Overcast and all those fun places across the internet. Today's show, we'll be talking about the Hawks losing at home to the Boston Celtics by a final score of one thirty-four to one twenty-five on this, this Saturday evening. The Hawks, with this loss, fall back to five hundred on the season at thirty-four and thirty-four, and they trail for basically the entirety of second half. It was scrappy down the stretch. There was a sort of a a blow up in the final couple of minutes with Trey Young and Marcus Smart, which we'll come back to later on in the podcast. But this is in some ways a defensive failure, in some ways a schedule loss, in some ways a loss that was not all that surprising, considering the Hawks were underdogs in this game, according to our friends at FanDuel. But we'll get into all of what transpired as we always do on the podcast and not the greatest performance in the world, nor the worst, from the Hawks on this night. So as you might imagine, if you didn't watch this game and just saw the box score or just saw the score itself even, It was a defensive failure for the Hawks, first and foremost, maybe 130 defensive rating in this game. And in simple terms, it is very hard to win against any team when you give up 1.3 points every time the opponent touches the ball and crosses half court. That is not great because uh, generally speaking, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. You have to be perfect on offense when you're that bad on defense. And some of it, I will say at the top of the podcast, has to be a hat tip to Boston. And that context is definitely important through that lens. Boston is a top five team on offense in the entire league by the numbers. They make 16 threes a game at the second most in the league. They're also playing without Robert Williams, and that does not help them defensively by any means with the subjects, But Robert Williams makes them more predictable on offense. Without him, they're playing five out the entire game. That makes them tough to guard in a lot of ways. They're playing a lot of shooting. I am really uh, just putting a lot of pressure on the opposition throughout this contest. With that said, it was pretty bad. From the Hawks, on the whole, defensively in this game, that showed up in the numbers. Boston, I would say the headliner of this game was that they made 23s. Yes, 23s. That is a ton. They also attempted 42 of them. So they shot very well, but that's, a, that's also a lot of three-point shots. And I want to stop right now, actually, before I get to the rest of the context about the defense and just play you a little bit of the audio and video from Quint Snyder postgame. He was asked about the defense, particularly three-point shooting. And here's what Quint had to say about how, about how the Hawks play and how we'll definitely be approaching things in the future.
1: I know one of the biggest things that you talked about the last couple of days is just defense, not letting guys get as many open threes. Just what did you think about that? And am so it kind of starts to transition, but just about your defense in general. Yeah, the, the transition portion of it is 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 true. It's big, but those are those are shots that um you know you, you can't if you're just not not quite enough versions, these guys make you pay. Um and then there's still some some situations where you know, we're over helping or we're closing out we're a little too short, our hands not up. And, you know, that's something we talked about before the game, trying to limit their, not their threes per se, but their touchy threes. And we started out the game and, and bang, 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 they had a few, um, but it's, it's, it's something that we will continue to talk about and continue to work on. A lot of times it happens. It's the end result, um, you know, of not being able to stay in front of the ball. And, you know, we have to figure out how to scramble out of the situations and try to make and make a couple more passes. Um, But as much as anything, you know, trying to be even more solid on the ball and then understanding, you know, situations on the court with different players to choose.
0: So hear him say basically some, some of the context that's important here, like the Hawks were overhelping, and that's been a focus of Snyder in the last couple of days and weeks about all of his public comments. The Hawks have been a little bit overhelping in general on defense. Boston is a tough matchup for sure, but also the Hawks have had, as, well, as I've talked about a lot on this podcast this season, well-documented issues, as he talked, as he talked about in that answer, just containing the ball on the perimeter. Um, I think this goes without saying, but it's kind of you have to have everybody playing their particular role on defense. But I think the biggest issue the Hawks have had for most of the season has been the inability to contain ball handlers and um, keep guys in front of you and slide and not give the, not give the opportunity for the offense to get you in rotation. And the Hawks have relied heavily on their backline defenders this season. That's been the case the entire year. It still is now and the Hawks have not been good enough at the point of attack. It's been something i talked about a lot, so I'm sure I'm repeating myself to some degree, but you hear it there from, from Snyder is that kind of everything filters from the inability to stand, if st- stand in front of the guys, and you get into helping, and then over-helping, and over-rotating, and there were just breakdowns from this game the entire way through by the Hawks, so that's good context. Obviously, there's more to it than that, but three-point shooting was the biggest single swing in this game, both volume and accuracy, and that led to Boston winning this one. Also, the Hawks only forced nine turnovers. In this game, and if you're going to be playing aggressively, as the Hawks have been a little bit more aggressive this season in general, but especially in, in recent days, you have to be able to, c- to sort of capitalize on that. And nine turnovers in the, in the whole game is not going to be enough to go ahead and play that scheme. They allowed 22 fast break points and 62 points in the paint; those are terrible numbers as well. So it was really not not a lot to be excited about defensively in this game across the board. The only positives defensively were that Boston only attempted 12 free throw attempts. That's actually a good number, so um, they did not have to uh, foul a lot in this game there's pros and cons of that and then they also won the glass the Hawks did a good job in the glass in this game but part of that was that Boston didn't miss a lot of shots so um you know context wise was it the worst potential defensive game that the Hawks play this year no it wasn't but Number one, hats Boston for making a bunch of shots. Number two, the Hawks did not play well defensively. They allowed way too many open looks in this game, way too many threes in general. And Boston got whatever looks, whatever looks they wanted to, really, the entire game. If you watch the film back, it is startling that Boston just seems to be in total control, has the Hawks on the string the entire game, and uh, that's not that's not great. Now, matchup wise, as we'll come back to this later on, especially with the Hawks trying to play two bigs a lot, the Hawks default approach this year is to play two bigs, whether it's Collins and Capella to start games, whether it's been Jalen Johnson as the backup four. In recent days, he's, he's like, uh, some more uh, less of a traditional big than some, but still a guy who is power forward size, a combo, etc. Boston was playing five out the entire game and they don't play two bigs and I think in particular for Capella, but even as well for Collins, and you can you know, obviously other, argue for other guys as well, this is about as tough of a matchup as you're possibly going to see for in particular Capella and having Collins have to, have to defend wings. So it's a bad matchup. It's a bad performance. It's a bad defensive output on the whole. There is context that's important. There's nuance that's important. The Hawks were also on a, on a back-to-back, whereas Boston was not, and Boston was clearly the fresher, more energized team the entire game. That, that, that stuff all matters, but in the end, it was not, it was not good enough defensively to get this win. On offense, it was uh, – let's just say this. It's not every day that a team loses while doing the following. The Hawks shot 61% on twos in this game. They shot 94% at the free throw line in this game. They only had 10 turnovers in this game. They had 70 points of the paint and 17 fast break points and a big edge of the rebounding battle. All those things went to the Hawks. And if all I knew coming into the game was that the Hawks were going to have all of those strengths, they would have had a very, very, very high winning percentage. But basically, the Hawks got beat at the three-point line, which is not a huge surprise if you watch this game. But Atlanta ended up scoring more than 1.2 points per trip in the game. That is going to be good enough to win most nights, especially against you know, a team in Boston that has a good defense. So to go out there and score like that is pretty impressive. The Hawks had seven guys in double figures. Uh, I will say only I thought Trey and Sadiq Bey had individual like really strong games, but they, they did enough on offense across the board. But the big thing, again, was that while Boston made 23s, the Hawks made 10. And sometimes it really is a simple game. If the with one team out towards the other by thirty points from three point range, you're going to lose more often than not. The Hawks didn't have terrible volume in this game. Actually, thirty four attempts is pretty good. It's not incredible, but it's better than their average for the year. But they shot twenty nine percent from three, and that's going to get you beat a lot. Um, You know, basically that's the difference of the game in some ways. In the second half, the Hawks had a one twenty eight offensive rating. That's excellent. Like, it's not. Well, I'll say this: you can't necessarily just take one side and the, the floor away from the other offense always affects defense and vice versa. So you can't just detach it. But if you were just looking at the offense in this game, the Hawks played well on offense, like actually well, capital W. Well, it just wasn't quite enough because the defense couldn't get stops along the way. Um, and look, I'll say this now, and it's nobody, nobody wants to hear it. I understand that, um, but I have to. It's sort of my job to give you the full context that I can sort of offer. Uh, it's a schedule loss to some degree as well. I talked to someone who is a member of the Hawks organization today before the game started, and they kind of talked about this. and They're very open, like these guys tired, and that's part of the deal. Now, the Hawks were five point underdogs in this spot, so that's not a huge number, but clearly, when you're five point underdogs, you're, you're you're quote unquote supposed to lose. Also, it was the sixth game in nine days for Atlanta. That's a lot of games in a short period of time. Plus, four of those games were on the road. Also back-to-back, of course, getting in late on Friday evening into Saturday, and Boston came in with two days off. So the worst schedule spot of the season was that game in Denver that I kind of warned everybody about for a long time that the Hawks got beat pretty badly in. Um, Tonight wasn't quite that bad, in part because the Hawks were coming home to play, at home in front of their home crowd, but considering the opponent in Boston, considering the child situation and the rest disadvantage and all that, it was a pretty tough situation for Atlanta. Now, does that excuse everything? No, it doesn't. But if you kind of pulled around the league and just said, all right, here's the setup for this game. Um, And then also you're playing a good team in the Celtics. Like you're not supposed to win that game. And I understand that. So as far as like overreacting to the result, I would encourage everyone not to do that. Is that going to be fruitless? I'm sure it is. Um, And then you throw in, by the way that Boogie didn't play. He was actually out on second, back to back. He actually missed this game with back tightness, but I, it might've been a little bit, precautionary. Hunter was banged up, had a, has a right ankle sprain, ended up playing, but was uh, unavailable uh, for at least part of the uh, part of lead-up and was not probably 100% in this contest, and the Hawks had snapped a seven-game streak where they had the entire roster available, so uh, they were underdogs. They are playing a team that's very, very good. Boston's probably a top-three team in the league. They certainly are a top-three team in terms of title odds and all that stuff, so You know, is it a game to panic about? I would say no. Snyder did not seem to be panicking. Obviously, he's talked about the, you know, I don't want to play the entire audio for you here, but he was talking about like trying to find stuff from these games that is encouraging for the future and built and sort of teachable stuff and building and moments and all that stuff. And look, that's where the Hawks are. That's unfortunate because this is a season where the Hawks have had pretty high expectations, but to be 34 and 34, um, you know, I, I understand they have to win to get into the playoffs. That's, that's still the goal, and all that stuff. But as far as like living and dying on every night, um, they can't really afford to do that big picture organizationally. I'm sure they, the, the guys want to win every night. No question about that. But to lose a game on a back-to-back against Boston is not a situation where you burn everything to the ground. So there's all that said, and I'll stop rambling now about that, but bad defense, pretty good offense, and, uh, a, good, and a, a good opponent leads you to a game in which the Hawks trailed for every second in the second half. And yes, they were competitive on the stretch. They were certainly right in the game, but uh, it wasn't quite enough to emerge victorious. All right, we'll get into the game's flow now and kind of what, how this one transpired from top to bottom. And then at the end of the podcast, we'll talk about how this game also unfolded from an individual player standpoint. But first, it worked from our sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Looking for DFS option this year? Make sure you check out the award-winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made it easy. It's amazing. I know that you will love it as much as I do. It's very easy to use. Prize Picks, and I've been playing there for quite a long time now. At this point, honestly, and it's really a breeze to operate over at Prize Picks. All you have to do is pick two to six players, and then choose whether they actually have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds or assists or other stats. And Prize Picks can up to twenty-five times your your money on the entry that you're putting in. They offer sports on across the board, really. They have the NBA, of course, and college basketball and the NFL and college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, soccer, esports, and more. An entire entry can be done just a minute or less. It's just that easy and that quick. Plus, it's just you against the numbers. They have safe and fast withdrawals of Picks, and they're operating in more than 30 states, including Georgia as well as Canada. You can download the PriceBix app right now or go to Pricepecs.com to sign up and play DFS immediately. And if you're a first time user, get 100, 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. Don't forget that promo code, it is locked on. It's signed up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at PrizePix. All right. And the, the story of the first quarter really was the furious pace of offense in this one. The Hawks actually started this game 7-0 in favor of themselves, making their first three shots. It was uh, Tunner on Tatum and Murray on Brown defensively. That was kind of the primary alignment in this one. But then Boston made five consecutive threes that keyed off a 23-9 run. Uh, all pretty good looks. And again, as we talked about earlier on the podcast, lots of rotation breakdowns, overhelping, and good ball movement from Boston. But Boston scored 23 points in three minutes and 18 seconds. If you do the math on that, If you just translated that out of a a full quarter of basketball, that'd be like an 80 or 90 point quarter, maybe even more than that. That's obviously not realistic, but 23 points in three minutes and 18 seconds is essentially a pace that is near hundred points. (laughs) It's up. It's outrageous. Um, Also that's 23 points and nine possessions. So do the math on that. I can tell you that that's pretty impossibly good. And the Hawks were scoring at a super high clip and still losing Um, rotationally. There were not a ton of surprises, but it's worth noting that again, Bogey was out in this game. So uh A.T. Griffin returned to the rotation for the first time after five games out of the rotation. But a couple notes here. Okongu played earlier and more often than he normally does. Um in part because of the matchup. Again, Capella, this is kind of a nightmare for Capella. I thought on offense, Capella was actually quite effective in this game. He had 12 points and 9 rebounds. But Kongwu's defense is much more set up to play against this Boston team that's playing five out. And actually, at the end of the game, they went to Collins at center. So it was a bad matchup for Capella. So it was early at Kongwu and more of a Kongwu. They actually brought AJ in for Bogey in the way uh, – sorry, in for, for Trey, the way that Bogey normally does when he's out there. But then AJ struggled pretty mightily in this game. And the, and the rest of the rotation was pretty normal in the first half, except for they brought in Aaron Holiday for about a minute in the second quarter because of how bad – th- at least this is my read – how bad AJ was, honestly. And they were trying to just do something defensively to kind of change the tide. But uh, that didn't work either. And then in the second half, spoiler alert, the Hawks only played eight guys. So they went from – Nine guys, really nine and a half guys in the first half, down to eight in the second half. And that was kind of the interesting choice because, you know, A.J., I know Hawks fans all want to see him play, but he's been out of rotation for a while. He looked to be rusty and did not play well in his one stint tonight. Anyway, a nice assist by Jalen to Okongwu in the final minute of the first quarter. And then uh, Trey got a friendly bounce on a jump shot late in the quarter to take the lead. And the Hawks actually led this game 38 to 37 at the end of the first quarter with a 140 offensive rate. And the Hawks were 14 of 16 on twos. In the first quarter, Trey 10 and seven, and uh, they were keeping pace for sure. But then a huge run and really the biggest single stretch of the entire game. Obviously, it's hard to say that in the first half, but it really was the case here was the 20 to four run by Boston to open the second quarter. That prompted the Aaron Holiday appearance when they couldn't get stops. Um, they were the Hawks also an offense kind of had their worst stretch of the game. They were two of 11 from the floor at that point, and I, And that just continued to spur. Boston transition game on offense. Boston hit four more threes. They hit 10 threes in the first 18 minutes of the game. And then they actually had Capella back in there with the second unit because of how early Okongwu came back into the game. And yes, the Hawks started chipping away, but they were playing from behind from that point forward. They were down the entire rest of the game. Um, Collins had a huge block on Jalen Brown that led to a three-pointer by Hunter to get back within nine. And the Hawks did take more threes as the game went along. In this game, they didn't make them, but they at least took more, which I thought was probably a good sign. Trey attempted six in the first half on his own. They were down 10 at the halftime break, but with a 136 defensive rating, Boston had 12 threes and 18 assists in that first half. And the offense, again, was pretty decent in the first half. It was even better in the second half. Trey had 17 points and 11 assists in the first half. He tied his career high with 11 assists and a half. And then Hunter and Collins had 20 points on 13 shots. So they were were pretty efficient on offense in the first half. It just wasn't quite enough to, uh, much less build a lead. They were were actually down 10 despite playing that well on offense. And then in the third quarter, they started out, again, pretty slowly amidst their first six threes. Defensively, they actually were much better, I thought, in the third quarter. They just couldn't make shots. Um, Instead of going back to A.J., they stuck with eight guys. It was Bay first. They trimmed the rotation down. And there was an absolutely f- horrible foul call on Jalen Johnson that made the rounds on Twitter and, other- and otherwise on social media. Just a total brain fart, no call. That should have been no call, I should say. That was called on Jalen. A weird, weirdly bad uh, officiating decision there. And the Hawks were down by between seven and 14 points the entire third quarter. So it's pretty uneventful for the most part. But the Hawks were two of 11 from three. That got them from actually making a a, a sustained run. Defensively, they were better, but they forced zero turnovers in the third quarter. And uh, Boston only had four giveaways in the first three quarters alone. That's not going to be sustainable to get wins in the NBA. Uh, In the fourth, it was much closer. So the Hawks were within seven for a large portion of the fourth quarter. After a couple stops, there was a Capella tip in. They had a couple of good shots. And the Hawks, I thought the Hawks benching was much better in the second half. Again, probably not coincidental. Coincidental, I should say, that it was actually only the eight-man rotation. So it wasn't a full benching at any point. They gave up a big offensive rebound with five minutes to go. And came out of the timeout actually down by eight points with four minutes to go. And they actually played Collins at center. Now, earlier in the game, I actually had called for it being a good night to play Collins with Jalen as the four and the five because of Capella's matchup questions in this one instead because they were losing. And this is something that they, do, they used to do a lot and that a lot of coaches do. They go offense when you're down at the end of the game. And it makes sense. You want to be high variance and all that stuff, I get it. But it didn't really work on defense, which is not a huge surprise. But, you know, playing John Collins at the five, Sadiq Bay at the four, and then Hunter at the three, um, plus a small backcourt in Trey and DeJounte. Um, but I, I, I at least understood it, that's for sure. It was down. So Boston got, got it back to ten a couple times, but every time they did, it was you know Collins a three point play get back to seven, and then after another time when it was back to ten, they had a four point play to get back to six. Then the big fireworks happened with one twenty five to go. Trey gets fouled by Marcus Smart. They were jawing very closely together. Marcus Smart is an irritant. Trey is not afraid of anybody. So there's that's kind of the context to start things off. And it ended up basically, I'm sure everybody's seen it by now. With Smart kind of wrapping Trey up and pulling him to the ground, and everybody rushing in, uh, Murray, Collins, Hunter, all there, kind of uh, diffused things. Boston's staff as well. The end result, after a long review, and it was a long review, was um, a ejection for Smart and a T on Trey Young. Now, Hawks fans, I think, were rightly bothered to get uh, about Trey getting a technical foul. Uh, Lauren Williams at the AJC talked to a, as the pool reporter to an official after the game, and the explanation that was given to her was that the technical foul on Trey was, quote, for getting up and pointing in Marcus Smart's face, end quote. Both Trey and Snyder asked about that after the game. No real responses that were uh, probably smartly not given the huge context there, but obviously no love lost between these two teams. They're obviously rivals on some level. Also, you know, Marcus Smart talks a lot. Trey is not afraid and uh, not a huge surprise. It obviously could have been worse. That's probably, I'm glad that it wasn't. But the ejection, um, if Trey does not get a technical foul out there, it would have been nice to get some free throws along the way. Um, Also, I'm not sure why the initial foul was not a three-point play attempt. It was ruled to be, I guess, on the floor for some reason. Uh, Trey ended up making free throws to get it down to six. Um, There were chances for the Hawks. Trey missed the three. But the Hawks, I think the biggest chance they had late was down six. They missed three shots in a row, but they got two offensive rebounds in a row after a Trey miss. Um, they couldn't finish either of them. The second time Collins had one where he probably sh- kicked, kicked it out to a, to a three point shooter or something. He kind of rushed one around the rim. Um, but, you know, at the same time, if they score a two there, it's not, they're down four with under a minute to go. They're probably going to lose anyway. Um, you know, A lot of focus on that play. I don't think it was a great play by anybody involved. They had three chances, didn't score. And then when Boston scored to go up by eight, it was effectively over at that point. So really, it never got as close as it might have felt, honestly. The Hawks were within six for a large portion of that, and they were within four or five early in the fourth quarter. But it was six or higher for the most part on the stretch. So it wasn't like a one possession game, but they were right there in the middle of it. A lot, of, a lot, of, a lot of intensity for sure, and then of course the uh, the, the histrionics between Trey and Smart. Uh, everybody seemed to be all right after the game. There wasn't like a temper flaring over too too much. Trey was you know professional on the on the dais as he always would be. So anyway, it was kind of a mess, and the Hawks again trailed for essentially the entirety of the last three quarters. After the big twenty to four run, start of the second quarter, the Hawks were down the entire rest of the game. And second half, they actually did uh, win it by a point. But they were, and offensively, they were awesome, they were awesome after halftime, but just not enough stops the entire way. Boston had at least 30 points in every quarter. And you're not going to win when that happens. All right. We'll get into some more context of this one that includes, of course, the individual player breakdowns that we usually do on this podcast, about all the guys who participated for Atlanta. But first, before we get to that, a word from our sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar, and the Built March Madness bracket is here. I'm sure you have a favorite Built Bar or Built Puff flavor at this point, and now is the time to go ahead and express that opinion and make it count today. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. If you've listened to the show for a while, you might already know that my favorite personally is cookies and cream, so that supporting that flavor is a fantastic option. But there are many, many, many more flavors across the board with Built Bar, and when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you'll be entered into Drawing. Actually, with a 50 lucky on listeners, they will get a free box of Built Bars. Not only that, but one fan will get a 12-month subscription to Built to have bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to their door. If you haven't tried Built Bar yet, it's time to stop waiting and go ahead and do that. They taste fantastic, and you won't even believe they're actually good for you as well. Every bar is high in protein, low in sugar, and 100% chocolate on the outside. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or your favorite puff. And pick up a box while you're there. Vote every day in March. So hop in now and support your pick at BuiltMarchMadness.com. All right, and to the individual player breakdowns in this game, as I mentioned briefly before, A.J. Griffin and Aaron Holiday both played very sparingly in this one. <clears throat> Aaron played one minute, so I don't really have much to add there, but his ball handling has always been a concern, and I, I wasn't surprised. It was too shocked to see him come into the game just to stop the bleeding defensively, but offensively he is still a challenge. He's more of a 3 and D small guard than anything else. But Griffin really struggled. Uh, two points in nine minutes on 0 4 from the floor, 0 2 from 3. Defensively, he was a step slow as well. Uh, he was a mess. And I don't, I don't worry about that too much. He hadn't played in a while, but it was a bad matchup for him in some respects. And also he just didn't make shots. Plus the defense was, was pretty shaky. So I was definitely in favor of him not playing the second half after he played, after how he played in the first half. But I like to see him get back in there sooner rather than later, just kind of give his confidence back and uh, return the rotation at some point in the future. Uh, Jalen Johnson played 19 minutes off the bench, had seven points, but was minus 11 in his stint. Uh, two assists, four rebounds, three-six on the floor, 2 on threes. A couple of – he took two threes. We also had a couple of like record scratches on the perimeter. I think offensively, he was a negative in this one. Defensively, he certainly is very helpful. But as I mentioned, I think during the game on Twitter, he is not yet ready to be like a screen navigator on defense. And that's not, that's not his fault. I'll be very clear about that. Jones has been playing as a big, basically, defensively, and for the vast majority of his pro career. And it was very obvious a few a few times when he was kind of on the ball trying to navigate screens in, in partnership with either Capella or Kong Wu or one of the bigs around him that he's not quite ready and, and good enough at, at that role just yet. He's used to being in the other role, whereas now he's the guy who has to go above or below the screen and, and be talking and all that stuff. There was one a pretty clear breakdown between he and Capella at one point. So it's an area to focus on. I don't worry about that at all. But if you are – and I, I, don't, I do understand this, but if you're calling for Jalen to be like the stopper or whatever defensively um, – just know that he's not quite there as far as that particular aspect. And if he's going to be defending like primaries, it's an area he's going to have to improve on, and I'm sure he will. And more reps on that is what he needs, what he needs. but keep that in mind for the future and for the present. Um, Sadiq Bey continues to shoot the ball at an incredible clip. He is shooting 50% from three since he got here. That's, that's pretty crazy, and he's still doing it. 17 points on nine shots. He's just filling it up from three. He's shooting them um, quickly as well. That's something that I think is great. Even when he cools off, and by the way, he is going to cool off from this because nobody shoots like this. Um, it's a great thing that he will shoot and he will shoot quickly, and he has to be guarded, and there is no hesitation. And hopefully, that hopefully that continues. What you don't want ever is the guy as a guy is guys to not take shots. Sadiq does not have that problem. He's very eager. There was one possession where he missed it. He missed this one, actually. Um, He had Trey very, very obviously open on a swing pass, and Sadiq just kind of looked him off and shot it himself, which is kind of funny to see because Trey is obviously the guy. But it's just sort of an indicator that Sadiq is ready to shoot, and he is still on fire at this point in time. So he was really good off the bench. And other than Trey, I think he was probably the guy who had hit the best offensive game in terms of, like, compared to the normal baseline. He was really good offensively. Defensively, another story, but certainly he was, uh, you know, Awesome and very useful in offense in this game. Akongwu had a good game as well off the bench 11 points, eight rebounds in 23 minutes. Snyder praised him after the game. So that's kind of the reason why they went away from Capella was because O was playing well. That was charitable. I think it was mostly because Capella was not having a great game or a great matchup, but Akongwu was good. And uh, of all the guys on the roster, uh, I think Akongwu might be the only guy on the team that actually has a pretty favorable matchup against Boston compared to normal because he is a, uh, you know, his game is predicated on being this small. Um, flexible, versatile, speedy, rangey center. And that's the kind of guy you need against Boston. So all those things, like, I don't think he was perfect, but he did play well. And if anything, he probably should have played more, I think, in this game. To the starters... I mentioned, I mentioned Capella before. It was kind of a weird game. Capella was a game-worst minus 20. That's not all on Capella, but it is kind of indicative on some level of how bad of a matchup it is for him. He had nine rebounds. He was good on offense in this game. He, he made all six of his shots. But defensively, he just doesn't have anything to do against Boston. Um, you know, His best attribute is as a backline rim protector, of course. Um, he's a great communicator and all that. But against a basically every minute of the game in this spot, the, Haw- the Celtics, I should say, were playing either Al Horford or Blake Griffin at center. Now, Blake is an easier matchup than Al is at this point for Capella. And I think they tried to at least match those guys up, but they were playing five out the entire game. There was not a single minute of a traditional center for Boston. And that makes Capella's life tough. It sounds crazy again, that Robert Williams playing for Boston actually would have been good for the Hawks. I think in this game, because that gives Capella somewhere to be, but Because if he wasn't available, that happened. And I think Capella, if you were drawing up a situation in the entire league, that is probably the worst for Capella on defense. It might have been this version of Boston. It really is. At least high on the list, if nothing else. Um, Collins, 30 minutes. He had 11 points, nine rebounds. Uh, Had had a a big block, four four, uh, fouls. Shooting wise, again, over, over 03 from 3. It's just, it's tough. He's not making three. He's not making three. nothing new there to add. I've been talking about this every night for weeks. So I'm not going to have, have nothing more to add on this podcast. Um, he was pressing a little bit in the second half, I thought um offensively and then defensively it's not as bad as capella's situation but collins especially when playing the four in this matchup is overstressed overstretched i should say like he's him having to be a primary defender on marcus smart or jason tatum which is what he has to do in this game because you're playing next to capella capella's got to guard blake griffin he's got to guard al horford which means collins is defending basically the, the basically a guard the entire game and that's not his best attribute. Obviously, he is much better as a help side guy. Um, his biggest highlights defensively in this game were as a help side rim protector. Um, he's not great in space. Like, is he better than some power forwards in space? Yes. But is he as good as, you know, Jalen Johnson in space? No, he's not. He's not as far as guarding perimeter guys or DeAndre Hunter, et cetera. So uh, I thought Collins played better than the shooting numbers indicate. But also defensively, it was a rough one for basically everyone, but especially for the bigs, uh, other than Okongwu. Uh Hunter played 39 minutes. And that makes sense. Honestly, like there were lots of thought exercises, including some that I was doing on Twitter about Hunter being listed as questionable. Like what is going to happen if he doesn't play in this game? And we don't know yet because he, because he did play, but him play 39 minutes is, is a reminder of just how important he actually is. And Hunter didn't play all that well in this game. He was, he was fine. 16 points on 12 shots defensively. He was not great, nor was he terrible, but other than Jalen, they don't really have another guy like DeAndre Hunter on the perimeter. Um, if he didn't play, I think it would have been really interesting to see what the Hawks would have done. I'm not saying it would have been good for Hawks because it wouldn't have been. But all the numbers indicate this. All the eye test indicates this. Hunter has been very valuable for the Hawks as, as kind of their only perimeter wing size guy. Now, Jalen's doing more of that now. But early in the season, it was basically all Hunter. And against this against this team, against Boston, he's kind of it. And they definitely wrote him that way as far as minutes are concerned. Uh, DeJounte Murray had a rough game. He also played 39 minutes. Again, similar thing. I I think that Murray's overstretched a little bit defensively, but in this matchup, he kind of has to play against either Smart or Brown or somebody like that for the entire game. Uh, He was bad on offense in this one. Uh, This is a a little bit oversimplified, but there is a feeling, and I think it shows up on tape, that when Murray's not making his jumpers, and when I say jumper, I mean really anything outside, outside of eight feet for Murray, he's not very good on offense when he's not making jump shots. Now, that's that's a little bit simplistic, obviously, but he was 14 points on 18 shots in this game. He's not, he's not a free throw guy at all. In fact, he didn't take a, a single one in this game. He was, he was 7 of 15 on twos, which isn't a terrible number, but it's not good either. And he doesn't really get a lot of easy buckets. Like, you could certainly argue that his pull-up from 8 to 10 feet is pretty easy compared to most guys, but it's still not a, not a super high efficiency shot. He's not getting a lot of layups at the rim. And if he has a bad shooting night, it could stick out. And that happened in this game. Uh, defensively, had three steals. That's uh, he was the only guy on the roster that had more than one steal in this game. But he was kind of you know mediocre, I would say, defensively. He was minus thirteen. Uh, didn't play well overall. I don't think by his standards by, uh, by any means in this game. And then Trey. So Trey had a big game on offense for sure. He was really really good. I, I argue this during the game. I think he was probably the biggest reason why the Hawks were even engaged for parts of this game. If he didn't play as well as he did in, the, in this one on offense, they would have lost by twenty five points. Um, Thirty five points. Thirteen assists. Three turnovers. He didn't shoot it very well, um, but he wasn't terribly inefficient either. He was 12 of 27 from the field, four of 11 from three, got the line seven times, made all seven. So 35 points on 34 shooting possessions. That's sorry, 31 shooting possessions. That's actually fine, especially on high volume. Took 11 threes, made four of them. That's totally fine too. Um, the passing was great, 11 assists in the first half. Defensively, it was his worst game in a while. But again, he wasn't alone. I'm I'm struggling to find someone who played well defensively in this game. I think maybe a Kongwu would be the closest thing that I could point out to as a player who played above their normal baseline on defense. I think most guys had a bad game defensively. and I think Trey had a bad game. Uh, It was more reminiscent of his previous work than his most recent work. So I'm not saying he was terrible because he wasn't, but it was a little bit more of a step back. But again, it's matchup related and everybody's tired and all that stuff too. So Trey was their best player in this game by a wide margin of offense, not, not even close. And he played 34 minutes, but um it, it'd be tough to kind of just like, nobody was perfect in this one. Like Trey was their best player, but we'll kind of leave it there for now. Before we get out of here, a brief look ahead. Um, So a lot of teams played tonight because this podcast is so late, I can actually give you the full picture of the standings again, as of Saturday evening into Sunday, the Hawks are a game and a half behind Miami for the 7th seed. Miami lost in overtime tonight. That was very helpful for the Hawks. They actually lost to the Magic, which is a bad loss in some respects for Miami. That was good, a good news for the Hawks. So only a game and a half behind Miami. Um, they are two ahead of Toronto for the nine seed. The Hawks are eight right now. They are two and ahead, two and a half ahead, I should say, of Chicago and Washington. And they are three ahead of Indiana. Um, for those dreaming still of the 6th seed, the Hawks are 4.5 behind both the Knicks and the Nets. So it's not over by any means there but the Hawks only have 14 games remaining. They probably have to go, I don't know, 11 and three to have any realistic chance at the six seed. Uh, it's not likely. It's not terribly impossible either, but we'll see. That'd be their best, rest, best run of the, game, of the season so far by every stretch of the imagination. So uh, we'll leave it there for now. That's where they are as of this evening into tomorrow. And the next game on the horizon is Monday night at home against Minnesota, a much more normal game in terms of context. But the Wolves did have the whole weekend off after playing on Friday. So a big edge uh, – sorry, not a big edge for the Hawks or anything like that on the rest front. And this is the first game of the season against Minnesota. So that's kind of a big question mark. Both games against the uh, against the Wolves are in the next 10 days, basically. So uh, we'll see a lot of them in the future. Still a home game. Minnesota is a sub-100 team on the road. And at this very moment, the Wolves have the same record as the Hawks. In fact, they're almost mirror images. In fact, I think they are mirror images. I'm looking at this now. Yeah, Minnesota – is thirty-four and thirty-four and fourteen and eighteen on the road. The Hawks are thirty-four and thirty-four and eighteen and fourteen at home. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, Coin flip game in some respects. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't have a line yet at, at FanDuel. We'll see who. We'll see if uh, Bogey plays. We'll see how Hunter's feeling after playing tonight. That's a game where at home the Hawks will probably be favored in the game. And then uh, by the way, after that they have three days off, and then it's the Warriors in town. And the Warriors have been dreadful on the road this year. So. Um, a chance to get some wins in the near future, but 34 and 34 with uh, only 14 games to play. We are very, very late in the season at this point. In fact, the playoffs begin in basically a month. So stay tuned for all that. But uh, that's my full recap of this game in general. One of the Hawks could have certainly stolen, but one, they did not have the best defensive game. And we'll have more on that in the near future. Please subscribe to the podcast across podcast platforms. If you are a fan of the show, I appreciate you checking the show out anytime in any possible way that you possibly can, but The best thing you can possibly do is to subscribe across multiple channels, auto-download, click around YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, et cetera. Ratings and reviews also encourage. Please follow the show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Also follow my Patreon, patreon.com slash BT Roland. I do appreciate all the support there as well. Thank you for listening, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll see you after the game on Monday.